Welcome to The Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now, here's a message from Pastor Dan Roth. Amen. As you're having a seat, get your Bibles and go with me to the book of Exodus. Second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. We're going to be in chapter number 15. Tonight, I want to talk to you about a subject called sweetness in a bitter world. Exodus chapter 15, verse number 22 down through verse number 27, the children of Israel have just come out of Egypt. They've just been delivered with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm by the Lord. God has parted the waters of the Red Sea. Then as they crossed over on dry land and made it to the other side, God confused the armies of Egypt and they started to turn around and run back and yet God just covered the whole army with water and wiped them out in one swift movement. It's miraculous. It's amazing. It's the most astounding thing that they've ever seen uh, up to this point. I mean, they had the plagues of Egypt, and yet this outdid all of them. And now here they are, and Moses leads a song that I would just imagine like the Bollywood ending going on. You know what I'm saying? Miriam comes out with the tambourines, and they're all just coming out, and they've got men and women going back and forth and singing these songs, and things are just happening, and it's amazing. God has delivered them. They're excited. We pick up the story right there from that moment in Exodus chapter number 15. I'm going to read verse number 22 down through verse number 27. Look at what it says. It says, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out to the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now let's stop and just think about this for a moment, okay? First of all, it says that Moses led them out. But we recognize and realize that there was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, that whenever the cloud moved, they moved. Wherever the cloud stayed, they stayed. Now Moses was leading the children of Israel, but really what Moses was doing was he was following the movement of God. Because God was in that cloud, sending an angel before them to lead them everywhere they went. So, yes, Moses led them out, but really they were following God into the wilderness. They went three days. Anybody know how long you can go without water before you die? About three days, right? That's, that's about right. Yeah, you, you got it. It says, and they found no water. So here they come from this miracle. Here they come from this excitement. Here they come from this, this crazy happenings. And now all of a sudden the most basic needs, I need water to live. They can't find it. Next verse, verse number 23. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. Marah means bitter. Do you remember Orpah in the book of Ruth, she said, no longer call me Orpah, call me Mara, for my life is bitter, right? So it says, they came to Mara, for they were bitter waters there at Mara. Verse 24, and the people complained against who? Moses. Why? Because Moses was leading them out into the wilderness, right? No, God was leading them out into the wilderness, So God had led them into a place with no water, but they didn't dare complain against God because they just saw God wipe out Egypt before their eyes. So I'm not going to complain against God, but this guy Moses, I've got a bone to pick with him. Hello, come on somebody, right? When life is bad, we may not say God did anything. We might not want to curse ourselves by coming against God, but man, that Pastor Dan, oh my goodness, Oh, my boss on the job, that coach, that guy from the army that was the lieutenant, or whatever it is, right? They complained against Moses. And look what they said, saying, what shall we drink? See, now, I think it's a valid question. 
Probably you would too. You're out in the desert. You've been going for three days. There's no water, nothing like that. And so they complain against Moses saying, what shall we drink? See, the Bible records not just the words, but the heart behind the words. So here they are, and they're complaining against Moses, and they say, what shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, verse 25, and the Lord showed him a tree. Can anybody drink a tree? I always thought this was odd. You know what I'm saying? God oftentimes has unusual things that take place. And here, Moses cries out to God, obviously crying out to him about the fact that they need something to drink. And God says, okay, here's a tree. I don't get it, God. But let's see what happens. It says, when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. Wow, so God obviously showed Moses the tree, but not only showed him the tree, showed him what to do with the tree. Now, many times I've thought about this in, in my thinking. I don't know if you're like this, but I picture them in like this, this wilderness place, right? They've been wandering in the wilderness. Hey, you know, I've been overseas. I've been to Israel. It's very dry. It's very much like California. You know, if you've ever driven out into uh, Palm Springs area, that sort of a thing, or been down even to parts of Temecula and different areas around here, even this area here, there were places when I was looking around Israel, I was just kind of like, man, I am home. That looks like it could be Rialto, you know, like just, just felt like I was home, you know? Mountains look the same, brown, you know, just kind of dirt, some, some scrubs, on, you know, on them and that sort of a thing. Not much. Some dirt, some rocks, that sort of palm trees. And I felt good, man. It was 119 degrees at, at, uh, at Joppa when I was there. I'm just like, this is cool, man. I, I'm, I'm used to it. Well, all the Midwesterners are dying. But here, God shows him a tree. So when I think about that, oftentimes I would think about them being in this wilderness place, this desert place, and here's a dead tree. As I was reading this, though, tonight, I was thinking, you know, God showed him a tree. didn't say a dead tree. Could have been a palm tree. Could have been a living tree. Could have been a little sapling that found some water there by Mara, right? And as Moses was crying out to God, God just directed his attention to this tree. And as he looked at that tree, he saw something, and God said, I want you to take that tree and cast it in the water. She probably had to chop it down. And he cast it into the waters, and as he cast it into the waters, I don't believe that the tree had any special power within itself to change the chemical composition of the bitter waters. I don't believe that there was any sort of, you know, healing balm or, you know, special things in the leaves or some sap or anything. I just believe that what God shows us when we walk in obedience to what God says, it works. Now, whether or not God put the healing sap or the balm or the whatever on the thing, on the thing, then that's God's business. But my business is just to simply hear and obey. So it says that, he cast it in, and the waters became sweet. And it says, there he, capital A, speaking of God, made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them, verse 26, and said, and now, so this is the test. He says, if, everybody say if. That's the biggest little word in the Bible, isn't it? And right there is what everything teeters on. Everything hinges on that one little word, because either you're going to do this or you're not. That's the test of all of our lives. He says, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So God 
comforts their hearts. Remember, God speaks more than just the words, but he speaks about the heart. It it, it can almost be inferred from the scriptures as we read them that if God is telling them, I will put none of the diseases of Egypt upon you, that somebody in the crowd might have thought, man, God's leading us out here. I don't know what to do, but I can't complain against God because he might kill my firstborn son. He might put boils all over my body. He might put gnats or frogs, or maybe he'll turn this water of Mara into blood like he did in Egypt. Could have been a thought in someone's mind that this fearsome God who they saw hail and thunder and fire coming out of the sky and destroying all the trees, not a leaf was left on a tree, all the cattle and the oxen and and all the, the livestock of Egypt that was taken out during that time. They might have thought, man, I don't want to come against God. But God knew their hearts, and so God says, you don't have to fear me. I'm leading you. Trust me. If you'll just listen, if you'll just obey, if you'll just stay close and follow me, guess what? I'm going to take care of you. I'm not going to put any of those diseases upon you. Why? For I am the Lord who heals you. Wow. Verse 27, they came to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water. Somebody just help me out with my my Bible memory. How many tribes were there in Israel? Twelve tribes, that's right. And 70 palm trees. How many elders did Moses eventually set up? Seventy. Seventy palm trees. So they camped there by the waters. Wow. See, I see in this story that God is a God who takes bitter things and brings sweetness out of them. God is a God who can take our lives Because how many of you know at times life can just be bitter? Things can happen. The car breaks down. My wife and I were just talking about this this afternoon. Hallelujah. Here we go again, right? Life can get bitter. But that's a trivial matter when you consider about maybe you've got a parent who's becoming elderly. And you're starting to be concerned about their needs. And how are you going to pay for their managed care because they can't be alone any longer? Maybe bitterness can come when the kids don't exactly meet eye to eye on your values and the things that you put in them all their life and they're starting to get out on their own and do things a different way than you did them and, and, and dinner time has become, you know, more of a contention and a, and a brawl than a, than a meal that's shared together and you're wondering, are they going to make it? Maybe the bitterness came because you sank everything that you had into an investment or a, or a home or something like that, and then everything drained right out of the bottom, and it feels like the rug got pulled right out from underneath you. You lost your shirt, and you don't know what you're going to do financially in the future. See, bitterness can come in many ways. It can come in the form of a friendship that was broken. It can come in the form of a marriage that was broken. It can come in the form of disappointment with God. When you were praying and believing God for something and it didn't happen the way that you thought it should have happened or it didn't happen at all. We can encounter these things, but I believe that God shows us how to become sweet in a bitter world in these scriptures. Because if God was leading the children of Israel from a triumph to a trial, then obviously there was a purpose in it. I don't believe God does anything by accident. If God was leading them to the bitter waters of Mara, he was leading them there so that he could show up and do something miraculous and show them his character, show them who he is, reveal to them his heart, and lead them in the way. God wanted them to listen and to obey. And so what does he do? He leads them to bitterness. And in the, I believe in the same way in our lives, God is leading all of us. 
There may be situations that we encounter. Now listen, I'm not saying that God killed the family member with sickness. I'm not saying that God ruined your business. I'm not saying that God did any of those things. What I am saying is that God will lead us in life, and there are times and situations, places that God knows of, that when we get there, we might taste the waters and go, ooh, man, I don't like this. This is just bitter. Who Who could drink of this? I'm dying out here of thirst. There's water right in front of me. It's what I wanted, but it's not what I wanted. It's bitter. Wow, God wants our life not to be bitter, but to be sweet. So tonight, how to become sweet in a bitter world. First thing is this, is look to the past. Look to the past. Remember what God's done in your life. Just just take a walk down memory lane and see what God has done in your past, and that will take the edge off of that water. You know, I heard the story of a couple that was getting on in years and been married for a really long time, and they started to notice that both of them at the same time were starting to forget detailed things, you know, and it's just part of life, and so they were realizing, you know, if there's a lot of instructions or things like that, you know, I want you to go into the room and grab me this blouse, and I want you to iron it, and then I want you to, you know, bring it to me, and I want the the colorful brooch with that. Could you do that for me, honey? The the, the husband can do that. I don't know that I could do that now, but he he couldn't do that anymore, you know, and so the wife, you know, if the husband said, hey, can you go out to the garage and grab my hammer and, and, and some finished nails because I'm going to hang this picture. And can you also just make sure that you get the, the wire so that I can hang it on the back of the picture? You know, detailed directions with multiple steps. They were starting to forget stuff. So they started writing stuff down. They had a little pad of paper in each room that, you know, if they were talking, they said, hey, you know what, can, uh, can you write this down? You know, so they write it down. So one night they're sitting on the couch. They're just watching TV and here they are. And the wife says, you know what, honey, I'm going to get some dessert. Would you like anything? And he says, oh my goodness, I would love an ice cream sundae. And in fact, give me a banana split. Split the banana. Give me the, you know, the strawberry, the chocolate, the vanilla. I want the crushed pineapple. I want whipped cream. And can I have a cherry on top? And she says, absolutely, I'll get that for you right away. And she stands up and she starts to walk away. He says, hey, wait a second. You didn't write it down. She says, I don't need to write it down. I'm doing it right now. I'm not going to forget it. He says, all right, we'll see. She goes in the kitchen. She's in there for a long time. The husband's just watching TV, and she comes out with a plate of hash browns. She's got eggs. She's got, she's got bacon, and she's got a big cup of orange juice on the side. She sets it down in front of him with a big smile on her face, and he looks at her with this mean look, and he says, see, I told you, you forgot the toast. Here's the point. We need to remember. We need to look to the past. How soon we forget what God has done in our lives. See, if you just go back to the rest of chapter 15, I find it very interesting because the chapters and the verses, those were placed later on. But I do find it curious that these men and women who were led to do those things for our benefit and our edification so that we could easily find Exodus chapter 15, verse number 22 through verse number 27, had verse number 1 through verse number 21 be two songs of victory about what God had just done three days prior in the nation of Israel. How soon we forget. We could be singing songs on Sunday or on a Wednesday night, and three days later we're crying, woe is me. God, there's no water. God, it's dry out here. God, these waters are bitter. I got what I wanted. I got what I prayed for, but I didn't get it the way I wanted it, God. I can't use this. But God is saying that in order to go from trouble to triumph, don't forget the triumph that was just passed. And the reason why God doesn't want you to forget the triumph is because in order to get to that triumph, there had to be trouble before that. It's a remembrance. It's a learning lesson. 
Remember that in order to have the victory songs on the side of the Red Sea, they had to have the fear on the other side of the sea. When they were backed up against a marshy place on one side, a rocky place on the other side, the sea on the far side, and God standing in between them and the Egyptians. Walled in on four corners, and God made a way right through the middle of the sea. But there was an army after them. And before that, there was plagues on the people that were enslaving them. And now here they are, and God did all these miracles, and three days later they forgot. And they complained about it. See, we got to remember what God has done because trouble is an opportunity for God to triumph. Come on, can somebody say amen to that? If he delivered you then, he will save you now. I think that's worth saying again. If he delivered you then, he will save you now. If you remember how God saved you, if you remember that time that God healed you, if you remember the time that you didn't know how you were going to make it and somehow God made a way when there wasn't a way, if you remember the provision that showed up unexpectedly, if you remember how you were praying for someone to get saved and lo and behold, there they were at the altars, they got saved. Oh my goodness, if you just remember the victories of the Lord, then you're going to remember that this present trouble is going to turn around into a triumph not many days from now. God will do it. Psalm 78, 40 through 42, how often they provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Verse 41, yes, again and again they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. I want you to notice that they limited the Holy One of Israel. I don't think anybody in this room or watching online would ever say that they want to limit God's work in their life. No, we want to release the limits. We want to push. We want to break through the ceiling. We want to break out, right? We want, we want a limitless God to do a limitless work in our lives, right? And yet they limited the Holy One of Israel. How did they do that? Verse 42, they did not remember his power. And then it defines his power. The day when he redeemed them from the enemy. Talking about the Exodus coming out of Egypt going out of the Red Sea. If you read on in the verses, it talks about it. How God did his wonders in the land of Egypt. See, they didn't remember, and therefore, because they didn't look back and remember what God had just done, they limited his power in the present. God forbid that any of us should do that with God. No, rather we should have the attitude of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 10. I'm going to read this to you in the Passion Translation. It says this. It says, he has rescued us. Everybody say Has. Type it in the comment section if you're watching online, has. Here's the reason why I want you to say that, because has is past tense. Is that right? So he has, past tense, rescued us from terrifying encounters with death. Next sentence. And now. Everybody say now. Come on, type it in the comment section now. I'm going easy on you guys tonight. Sometimes I had them type out sentences and stuff in big, long words. I got three little three letters. Now. Now we fasten our hopes on him to continue to deliver us from death yet again. See, notice they had a present reality that they were facing death at that moment. But they remembered the fact that God delivered us from certain death in the past. And now if we're facing death again, well, if God did it then, he'll do it again now. If God was good then, he hasn't changed. God is good now. If God's my deliverer then, guess what? God hasn't changed. He's my deliverer now. If God was my savior then, God's my savior now. If God was my healer then, then God is my healer now. If God is my provider then, then God is my provider. Somebody say it for me. What? Now. God is my provider now. 
Wow. So we got to look to the past. How to become sweet in a bitter world. When you look back at what God's done, it'll just put a smile on your face. Man, tell the testimony. Tell the story. Make your heart happy by telling someone about what God has done in your life because that'll stir you up into remembrance as well. Second thing, though, is this, is how to become sweet in a bitter world is to look to the cross. Don't just look to the past, but look to the cross. See, Moses didn't join in the complaining, but instead he cried out to the Lord. And God showed him a tree. Remember I had you guys kind of point out the fact that he showed him a tree. He didn't show him water. He didn't show him solvents. He didn't show him filters. He showed him a tree. Jesus died upon a tree. The Bible says, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And Jesus took the curse upon himself when he was hung upon the tree. The cross was made out of wood from a tree. And so we can see that there is a picture of the cross of Jesus Christ here in the Bible. Not only that, the trees are oftentimes images of people. When it talks about the cedars of Lebanon, when it talks about trees in the Bible, there's a man that was blind, and when he started to get healed, he opened his eyes, and he looked around, and he said, whoa, I see people walking around like trees. Oftentimes, you'll see trees in the Bible as people. See, God showed him not just the cross, but the person of Jesus Christ. Because when you take the cross of Jesus Christ, and when you throw it in the middle of the bitterness, it makes everything around it sweet. Even suffering becomes sweet. Why? Because we're sharing in the life of Jesus Christ when he suffered and died for us on the cross. That means that we welcome sufferings, we welcome weaknesses, we welcome infirmities. Why? Because when I am weak, then he becomes strong, and now I can know the fellowship of the sufferings of Jesus Christ. And honestly, to tell you the truth, when I'm having car trouble and I want to complain, and I look to the cross, I say, I got no problems. Right? All of a sudden, the bitterness became sweet. When I'm complaining about money problems, no, I don't have that. But I looked at the cross. What problems? I've got every provision I need right there on the cross. It's all I need. It's all I need. Give me Jesus, nothing more, nothing less. See, we all have desires, thirsts that we feel presently. Where are we going to find satisfaction? Who will show us any good? This life can get bitter. I was just talking about this with my wife, Pastor Jess. I was, we were talking about this the other day, and, and I remember that old phrase. You guys remember this phrase, life stinks and then you die? And I mean, without Jesus in life, that's pretty much true, right? It's like, who wants this? You know, I don't want to go through all this junk and then die and that's it. But when you put the cross in the middle of this life, life no longer stinks. It's no longer bitter. Now life is blessed. Now life is sweet. Now life has purpose. Life has meaning. Life has an outcome because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Now I'm reconnected with God, and now I'm connected to my future. I'm connected to a living hope in Jesus Christ. I'm connected to the one who is the healer and who turns bitter waters and makes them sweet. See, it's only in his finished work on the cross that we find satisfaction. Because not even the wrath of God was satisfied in anything other than the cross. And in our lives, what makes us think that we're going to find satisfaction in sex, satisfaction in money, satisfaction in experiences, satisfaction in approval of man and encounters with people and those types of desires that we have on this earth? You will never find satisfaction outside of Jesus Christ. But the bitterness will come. 
There will be times where bitterness just jumps on you. I remember one time I was uh, here at church and was in the offices and somebody came by. They knew where I was and they, they started to talk to me and they did, you know, I hate to use this term, kind of gross, so I apologize to all the ladies. They vomited all over me, basically, verbally. All of their cares and everything that was going on in their life and all this stuff. And it was just like, as they were speaking, I remember feeling a burning on the inside of me. And I just felt like, you know, that, that bitterness of their life just jumped on me. I remember I was down. I was just discouraged. And I was just going, man, that, that stinks, you know. But then as I was spending some time with God and I was in prayer and I was just praying about everything that was being said and, you know, I just was feeling bad and all that kind of stuff. I just started casting my care on the Lord and started praying about it and said, God, you know, just, just get a look at all this that's, that's going on inside of me right now. I just feel bad. I feel, I feel that, you know, bad feeling. It just feels like burning on the inside of me. And I just gave it to the Lord. I remember God spoke a word to my heart, gave me a scripture. And it was almost like once that scripture was put into my heart, dropped in there, everything was off me. Everything just disappeared. I no longer held the care. I no longer, you know, I wasn't even mad at the person anymore for vomiting all over me. I was just kind of like, you know what? They're going to work that out. They're going to deal with that. God knows them. I prayed for them and asked God to bless them and to do a work in their life and change that reality that was going on. But you know what? Here's the deal. Is that when you put Jesus into your life, remember Jesus is the word. The word of God is living and active. That's why I don't think it was a dead tree. I think it was a living tree because the word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, dividing me between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. Guess what else it does? It turns bitter things sweet. Wow. I read one of the dead guys. I, I like this. My uncle calls. I read after the dead guys. But one of the dead guys said this. I can't remember his name right now. But he said, for every lock in the house of doubt, there's a key. Cry out to God in prayer, and he will show it to you. Maybe you've been complaining too much, and now it's time to cry out. Maybe you've been complaining about your boss. Maybe you've been complaining about the kids, complaining about your spouse, complaining about life, complaining about the government, the president, the mayor, the whoever. You just think at that moment, listen, instead of complaining, let's cry out to God, and God will show you the tree. He will show you the word. He will show you the life of Jesus Christ, that when it gets on the inside of you, and it changes everything. Let's look at it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 24. In the New Living Translation, it says this. You can read along whatever translation you have. 1 Peter 2, 24, New Living Translation says, He, speaking of Jesus, personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. Now look at this last part of this. By his wounds, you are healed. Now remember that just like the waters were made sweet with the tree, that we are healed when the cross is brought into our lives. I believe that that's not just a, a spiritual healing, which I, I, I believe is the most important healing, obviously, right? Because that's eternal, that's real, that's what counts, that's what matters. But I believe that that also provides a physical healing for our bodies as well. And you can see that in the Gospels when Matthew applied that to Jesus and his work. So don't, don't think that I'm saying only one or the other, right? It's, it's both, okay? But, I, but for tonight's message, when I say by his wounds you are healed, notice that the waters of Mara were healed. Is that right? They were bitter. They were unusable. They were unuseful to the people, but now they're healed and now they're blessed. Now they're sweet. Now they're healed. 
See, God showed them this picture that the waters were changed or healed with a tree and then reveals a new name to them. You notice the name that God gives them. He says, for I am the Lord who heals you. Remember, by his wounds you were healed. Here God says, I'll put none of the diseases of Israel, uh, of Egypt upon you, for I am the Lord who heals you. He is Jehovah Rapha. That's the way that uh, I am the Lord that heals you is translated into Hebrew language. I am the Lord who heals you, Jehovah Rapha. See, Jesus, by his wounds on the cross, is the Lord who heals us. Now, we are no longer under an old covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has brought us into a new covenant relationship with him. In other words, see, if we were just trying to fulfill the commandments of God upon our own strength and on our own power, life would be bitter again. Why? Because you can't do it in your own strength. And if that's what your life depended on was to be healed by observing the law and all the ordinances and commands that God gave, no one could do it. The Apostle Peter said that that was a burden that our ancestors could not bear and we couldn't bear. So what changes? What changes is is that Jesus himself bore our sins on the cross. And now we are in a new covenant relationship with him. In other words, the terms have changed, but the God has not changed. Are you listening? And that's good news for the day and age we live in because now it's no longer by the works of the flesh, but now it's by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross that now we are in relationship with God. And God says, because you're in that relationship, you're in covenant. There's an agreement that takes place that now your sins are forgiven. But guess what else? Your body is healed because I am still the Lord that heals you. He has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God God is saying to you today, I will provide for you. I will lead you. I will guide you. I still expect obedience, but guess what? I am now in covenant relationship with you, and you got a better covenant with better promise based on better blood. It's no longer the Passover lamb. It's Jesus, our Passover lamb. It's not the blood of bulls and goats. It's Jesus, our atoning sacrifice. Now, that was sin one year. This is sin every day of every year, every moment of life now. That bitterness is gone because Jesus has come and made our lives sweet. Which brings us to the last one for tonight. So you got to look to the future. Look to the future. See, it wasn't long before there was a place just around the corner with 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. They were patient. That God's abundant provision was just down the street. Reddit said that there were some old maps that explorers, when they didn't know what was beyond the borders of the places that they had seen, they would oftentimes write on those maps, here are giants, here are dragons, here are demons. And yet there was a man of faith by the name of Sir John Franklin. He wrote on one of his maps where he didn't know what was beyond it, here is God. If you look to your future with eyes of fear, you're going to see the wrong things. You're going to see the demons. You're going to see the devil. You're going to see the world getting worse and worse. And don't you know it just gets darker before dawn? Jesus is coming and it's got to get dark before the light can come. And so we know these things in advance. We know 
that in the last days there will be perilous times. We understand that, but I'm not looking to the future with eyes of fear. Listen, come hell or high water, God is with me. God is on my side. God's got me. He's upholding me with his righteous right hand. God will never leave me nor forsake me. And guess what? God is no respecters of persons. If he can do that for me, God can do it for you. But you got to look to the future, to an unknown future, but yet you got to say, here be God. This is God's domain. God is the God who is before me. He's behind me. He's above me. He's beneath me. He's beside me. He's right there with me. God is all around me. He worked in my past. God's moving me through the present and leading me on. But guess what? God's already gone before me. He's already crossed over to the other side. And God is waiting there. And God is in my future. And he's going to take care of everything in my future. Whatever it may come. Life might change. You might come to some more bitter waters. But guess what? God's already got the plan for when you get there. Matthew 28, verse 20, the New Living Translation, Jesus is speaking to his disciples before he ascends to heaven. And he says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this. Do you hear what he just said? He's given them commandments. Teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. And be sure of this. It's almost like he, he just paused and he leaned into the guys and he said, give me your attention. Right? You were, you were busy taking notes, writing everything down, okay, and teaching them all things are commanded. Hey, 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 listen up. Be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Even to the end. Where is the end? Is the end in our past? Is the end in our present? If you're still breathing, it's not. Till Jesus comes, or till we stop breathing on this earth and we go be with him, there's still a future waiting for us. Though I'm with you always, even to the end, even in your future, God is there with you, even to the end of the age. Come on, if you got something from the word of the Lord tonight, give God a great big praise. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.